0: In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 11 of the Feelin' Film podcast. I'm Aaron, and with me is fellow dad and co-host, Patrick.
1: Hey, everyone.
0: Hey. Hey. Happy day after Father's Day, bro.
1: <laughs> Thanks, man. Same to you.
0: Uh, today, we're going to be talking about Dory. We wanted to be doing this yesterday, but, you know, priorities, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Being a father, that's what that's what happens.
0: Kind of ties into the movie at some point. I hope so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, we're here to talk about Dory today. Uh, did it live up to the expectations set by the film that came before it? That's one of the questions we're going to try to answer is it just another retread of the same old journey across the ocean? Uh, we'll get to that one as well, and hopefully a lot
1: more. Yeah, and if you're just tuning in for the first time, uh, you can find more episodes at feelingfilm.com and all of your major podcasting directories like iTunes, Stitcher, etc. You can also find us on Facebook, where our discussion group continues to grow with more and more of you joining in the conversation with us. And I am ready to get going. If you are, but, uh, before we set off to find Dory, let's briefly catch up on what's been going on with us this week. Anything interesting with you?
0: Not so much. This has actually been one of the, I'd say quieter weeks. I don't know if that's the right word to use descriptively, but typically I watch anywhere from, you know, five upwards to seven movies a week. Sometimes, uh, I just tend to go nuts with them. And this last week has been a little bit on the downside for that, um, went out of town for father's day weekend. So that contributed to it. Well worth it. Nice little breather there, took the kids to Mount St. Helens, uh, explored a, a volcano and got to go do some spelunking inside of a, a cave. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, I needed a little bit of a break. When you do something like podcasting, like we do, where your hobbies tend to be indoors a lot or electronic in nature. It's nice, I think, to get us uh, that refreshing time away from our devices and our stuff like that.
1: I would agree. I would agree.
0: Yeah. So the the two things I just want to quickly hit on, I guess, are uh, coming back from the volcano. Uh, I wanted to watch something kind of tied to caving or volcanoes uh, last night as I wound down and got ready for my work week to start. So I decided to pop in uh, the Descent, I haven't seen that one in a long, long time. And definitely not since I've become a fan of the horror genre. And I, I got to say, it still lives up to the expectations or, or it lives up to the hype of of the reviews that I've read of it. People seem to really like
1: this film, and I I did as well. Had I not known that you were watching... A movie about a cave, I would have read it in your Facebook post as the decent. And I would have said the decent, what like <laughs> is it, is this a decent movie, decent, what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's very close to looking like that. I can see how you would have made that, um, made that mistake, but it's, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a cave movie. It's, uh, there's not a lot out there. Honestly, there's, there's one called sanctum that I really, re- I really like a lot. I remembered that one. I almost watched it again. Um, but decided to go with the descent. It's, it's a really neat little blend of horror and psychological mind bendy stuff going on.
1: Um, so
0: a little bit gory, but I was able to deal with it because the story was intriguing.
1: That's cool, man. I had, I had not heard of it until you mentioned it. So it may be one that I try to check out. You think my stomach could take it? I do not.
0: Okay. If we're being honest, no, I don't. I I mean, actually, I don't know if it's, if it's more like the demonic and ghost hunting type movies that, that kind of unsettle you and you're okay with just straight up, you know, unrealistic, somewhat, you know, like monsters ripping off a piece of somebody's throat. If you can handle that, then you might be able to handle this one.
1: So buddy cop movies, basically.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well, staying in the uh, horror genre for me, the one other thing I wanted to briefly mention is if you didn't get a chance to check it out, um, we did drop a special minisode for the first time ever late last week. We, I will say, I, I say we, I really, really wanted to cover The Conjuring Two, and Patrick had not seen it, um, so we went out and reached out to a buddy of the show, Scott Kelly, a uh, big horror film fan and one of our uh, most interactive listeners. And we were able to bring him on and have a great conversation about that movie. So that episode is out there as well as Jaws from last week. We we put two out. And if you haven't got a chance to go see The Conjuring 2, I highly recommend it in my top three for the year so far. Uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal film on, on all accounts. And uh, then you can listen to that episode. But Patrick, Fantastic. what about
1: you? Well, I stayed in the documentary world this week. Um, a lot of times when, um, when, uh, when I get some, some evening time to myself, I'll flip through Netflix and see if there's anything that interests me, and I find that documentaries tend to grab my attention more than anything. And so this week, I was thumbing through, and I ran across a documentary titled The Resurrection of Jake the Snake. The Wrestler? The wrestler.
0: Good, because I don't like real snakes.
1: <laughs> well, he's not a snake. He's a wrestler with a snake. <laughs> Still creepy. Still creepy. This is true. This is true. He does have a... Anyway. So if any of you, any of our listeners out there, if, if you guys were wrestling fans back in the 80s at the height of like the WWF's superstars like Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Macho Man Randy Savage, Jake the Snake Roberts was one of the... Uh, the major players when it came to wrestling superstars back in the '80s. I I grew up watching those guys. I loved um, getting the the closed circuit pay per view, as it were, uh, WrestleManias and, and whatnot. And um, I, I'd been checked out of wrestling for years. I had a I had a my own um, renaissance back in late high school when all these guys had kind of either gotten old enough to retire or had kind of changed their personas. And then I dropped off completely. And so I ran across this documentary and it's, it, it's a documentary that basically chronicles the life of Jake, the snake, um, at his lowest point in life back in 2012, this guy was 300 pounds. He had been an alcoholic, um, a drug user and diamond Dallas page, a wrestling superstar from the WCW who has become uh he's known at, for the for the diamond cutter as my co-host is showing me with his with his hands. <laughs> You're so goofy, man. <laughs> oh man. Bang. You know, self high five. Love that guy. Um he takes essentially he takes Jake under his wing and he begins to transform him. He invites him to this place called the Accountability Crib where he and a bunch of other guys are um kind of getting back in shape, getting their lives back in order using a program that DDP has created called DDP yoga. I don't laugh. (laughs) Apparently it's, it's a winner. Um, but as, as funny as that sounds, I'm watching this documentary and it was intriguing at first because I wanted to see what this guy, Jake, the snake looked like now. And it's a, it, it, wow. It blew me away, but just seeing not only his transformation, but how, it helped him reconnect with his fans, get redemption with the WWE, and in particularly with his family. He's got two sons and a daughter that were he was basically estranged from for a while. To see that come together, the emotional impact for me was just incredible. And by the end of the documentary, I was just enthralled. I, I was just, I was teared up a couple, at a couple of points, um, and you know. It, It was one of those documentaries that sort of, kind of blindsided me a little bit. I I didn't know what to expect. I expected sort of a transformation because it's the resurrection. But to to see his story and how he went from where he was to where he is now, it was a 2015 documentary, so it's fairly recent. Was just really good. Uh, So I would highly recommend that it's on Netflix right now. The Resurrection of Jake the Snake.
0: Very interesting. You know, you know what I love is that you always come with something completely different and out of nowhere i mean even if you're staying in the the documentary zone these this is nothing like some of the other docs you've mentioned and your recommendations listeners love them you know we've gotten a lot of feedback about your recommendations so um i, I highly suggest you guys if you're at all interested in redemption stories or or uh wrestling you know especially older wrestling go check out uh what is it called the resurrection, the resurrection
1: of jake the snake all right Cool,
0: man. Well, with that being said, I guess we should, uh, should we, should we say it? We should dive in to
1: Finding <sighs> Dory. I thought we were done with the really bad aquatic pun. Well, but I guess...
0: you know, when they're there for the taken, they, they're just there. Um, we're not going to spend a lot of time introducing this movie. If you guys out there have not seen Finding Nemo and you don't know what this movie is, where this movie is coming from, then I'm just going to tell you to turn us off right now. And go watch Finding Nemo. And then maybe you can come back and and listen a little bit more. But (laughs) this is the sequel to Finding Nemo. um, And spoiler alert, we are going to spoil the movie. So if you're not interested in... um, If you are interested, I guess, in finding out what happens for yourself, make sure you've seen it before you go any further with this podcast. But please do return because there is a lot to talk about in this movie, and I'm very excited about it. Patrick, how about you?
1: I am definitely excited about talking about this. I was not as excited as I believe you were since it doesn't – it's one of the higher Pixar movies for me, but not the uh, the highest, as I know that you've mentioned a couple of times.
0: Well, let me clarify before I get stoned by listeners – the finding Nemo is my favorite Pixar movie so far. Dory is not, but I believe it's probably around my top five and it is my favorite animated movie of the year so far. And that's being said, uh, being said, I mean, I loved Zootopia. I really, really love Zootopia, but, uh, there's something pretty special about finding Dory. But before we get to Dory, there is something that's really unique that Pixar does that I think is just great. And, Almost as much as I look forward to a new Pixar film, I look forward to the new animated short that's in front of it. And we have had some amazing animated shorts from this company over the years. There's one that I remember called Paper Man, I believe, Um, Paper something, but I think it was Paper Man, Paper Love, something like that.
1: It was a great, great short.
0: It was amazing. And then uh, I don't remember if it was Big... No, that's not a Pixar film, not big hero six. Um, but one of the, the more recent films, uh, had one called feast. Maybe that was inside outs. That was really, really good. You know, all about a dog eating meatballs and spaghetti. (laughs) So good. So good. I mean, they just, they have a way I know Sanjay super team, I believe, although that was in front of the good dinosaur, but even the good dinosaur, which is my worst Pixar film, uh, had an amazing short film and, and Pixar just knocks these out of the park. And for me, I thought this one was darn near close to maybe being their best ever. What did, how did you react to
1: Piper? Um, in, in the same way that I've reacted to a lot of the short films like you, I looked forward to it. I look forward to seeing the new thing that Pixar brings in terms of a, of a short. It wasn't my favorite. Um, Jerry's game, which I can't remember where it came. I can't remember the, the movie it, it preceded but it is probably my favorite. And I believe it's that way because I think it was the very first short that I watched from a Pixar film. And so I, whatever, I, I don't even remember which what was the first Pixar film I saw. So if you know which one it preceded, then you know which was the first one I saw. But a lot of it had to do with the fact that um, uh, I just loved the the story that was told. Very, very original. But this one, Piper was just, I mean, it's it's like going from if, if Jerry was like an eight out of 10, it was like a seven and a half out of 10. It's not like it dropped immensely. These, these short films sit so high on quality on a level of quality that, um, just watching them is a treat altogether because you know, you're going to get something fun. You know, you're going to get something very cool. Uh, and my son, it was really funny. This is his second film to go see. He went to go see the Lego movie with me a couple of weeks ago. Nice choice. After, yeah, it's great. After it was over, he looked at me and he goes, is it over? And I said, that is, but now it's time to find Dory. And he goes, okay, daddy. <laughs>
0: that is adorable. What about you? I really liked it. Both my kid or both of my kids also really enjoyed it. They, they say they think it's probably their favorite. Um, it Animation wise, it's hard to argue with that. This really set the tone for what finding Dory was going to be like. Um, and got me excited, honestly, because I saw this animation in this, this little short film. And I was just like, wow, I just, I, I am continually blown away by what Pixar does with their animation. It just gets more and more lifelike, more and more real. And even not seeing these things in 3d, I I didn't see it in 3d. Did you? I did not. Okay. So even not seeing it in 3d, I mean, it almost feels 3d. It's just so lifelike and, I just love the simple little quick story about uh you know facing your fears, becoming who you're going to be, growing up, um getting out there. I particularly just love the fact that these little baby crabs are helping the little baby bird. You know, there there's no and this is kind of funny. This is like a theme that I've noticed in a lot of Pixar films um is that Dory specifically Dory and Nemo uh that there's really no animals that are prey all the animals are kind of like helping each other out. They're all friends. And I, and I always go back to that famous line in finding Nemo, you know, fish are friends, not food from the sharks,
1: fish (laughs) are friends, not food. Exactly.
0: (laughs) And that's, and that's what Piper reminded me of was that same concept. Just these, all these different little animals on the beach and nobody's trying to eat each other. They're just trying to all, you know, survive and, and live in their own little way. And this bird burying his head in the sand and, that wave rushing up over him and the look on his face and his fa- i just i just loved it just made me smile so big
1: <laughs> there were definitely a lot of ah moments uh that uh that my wife had when she was sitting next to me watching it she was like and just like you mentioned this she, she looked at, she turned to me and she said that looks so real i mean the details of of the scenery there were times when i couldn't tell if we were watching a photographic um interpolation or whatever or if we're watching like actual animation it was just that detailed
0: yeah almost looks like a documentary at at some points so all right i guess we should embark on finding dory but we should probably figure out first what we are bringing into this film expectations wise so i'm going to ask you what did you where where do you stand on finding nemo like where is it in your pixar pantheon of films and Based on that, what were you wanting out of Finding Dory?
1: Well, honestly, I I, I didn't know what to expect. Finding Dory to me, uh, well, let me back up. Finding Nemo is not my favorite. It's definitely up there. As a dad, I can definitely connect with the father son story. Um, I love that. Particularly, Finding Nemo is not just about Nemo. It's more. It's even equally as much about Marvin, the 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 dad. You know, his dad, Marlin. He's not. Marlin, a Mar- he's not Marvin the Martian. Sorry, <laughs> my bad, Marlin. <laughs> but he's not a Marlin, right? No, not- that's even. Not- it's even more hilarious, <laughs> Marlin. That's not a Marlin. <laughs> but as far as uh, my favorite, my favorite movie uh, in the Pixar universe is Toy Story. It will always be that Woody and Buzz. Um, mostly the, mostly because of the trilogy. I, the fact that the Toy Story was great, and the fact that Toy Story Two was even greater as a sequel just blew me away because sequels, especially the animated movies typically are not, or haven't have not been in the past, um, as, as good. And then to see that particular trilogy finish off in such a way that felt complete, um, it just, that, that, that anthology sits in, sits, uh, has a high place in my, in, in my book, but finding Nemo comes in, I believe, um, a really close second. And so when I was looking at Finding Dory um, as a movie, I asked myself, why, why, why are we finding Dory? And why are we finding Dory so many years after what, after this first movie came out? And so I wasn't, I wasn't like not wanting to go see it, but I wasn't as excited as I would be as if this were like Toy Story 2, which I think had some a shorter time frame between the first and second movie. Um, So my expectations were about on par, maybe a little lower. And, um, and they exceeded my expectations, honestly. (laughs) What about you, Aaron?
0: That's, it's interesting that you bring that up. And I think, I I think you're absolutely right that, you know, they did a fantastic job in this marketing wise, and we didn't know exactly what this was going to be about. I, I didn't have any idea the deeper themes that we were going to explore in this film, just from watching the trailers. I I thought we were going to literally just go find a lost Dory, just like we found a lost Nemo. And that was actually my only hang up with the film. I was a little bit nervous about that. I was a little bit worried that we were just gonna do the same thing over and over and over again. But luckily, it doesn't seem that that's what happened. So I was pleasantly surprised. I had high expectations and I was still pleasantly surprised. And I haven't stopped thinking about it since. I really enjoyed everything about it.
1: I, after watching it, I had some initial thoughts on Dory as a sequel to Nemo. And I began to just process, is this really a sequel? Because Yes, it lives in the same world, literally and and wise I and mean, we get we get recurring characters, but it wasn't called Finding Nemo two, not like Toy Story two, and I began to look at it as as its own movie, and I thought, what if somebody hadn't seen Finding Nemo? What if the two people that exist on the planet had not seen Finding Nemo, and they go see this this movie? Could they still enjoy it? And I'm going to say yes, because what I think is great about this story as a whole and and what, what takes away any kind of um, opposition about it being so far removed from the first one is the fact that it can stand on its own. It's It's an original story in and of itself, because you're right. It wasn't about Dory getting lost and everybody finding her. She was trying to find her family. It was almost like this reverse thing where – you know, Nemo was lost and his family was trying to find him. He was trying to get home. Those themes were in there, but it was done in such a different way that we got a fresh look at what some of the themes that were hinted at in Finding Nemo were. And we didn't have to see the first one. I actually started thinking about this in comparison to, it reminded me a lot of the the Godfather trilogy. And if any of you listeners, not in the, not in the theme sense. But I'm raising an eyebrow at him for you, everyone. Don't worry. <laughs> So, so go with me on this. Um, Of the people that I know that enjoy the first two, I don't really like to count the third one. I ask which one is your favorite of the first of of Godfather and Godfather Part Two. Which one is your favorite? Most people say the second one, and I ask why. Most people say it's because the first one exists, and what I mean by that is we get this. The Godfather Part Two is a great movie, but because we know about the stuff from part one, it makes the movie even better. And because we have this backstory of Dory that gets fleshed out through flashbacks, we get answers to questions that we weren't really asking when we were watching Finding Nemo. We just took them as quirks about this character. It makes her a lot more interesting. And therefore, it makes the story a lot more interesting. And that's what drew me in is when I find out about Dory and I find out all about the stuff about her and her backstory As we're finding more of this stuff out. um, I really began to get into uh, to the story as a whole and it, it really paid itself off for me.
0: Yeah, I think it did for me as well. And the flashbacks are just, they're so great. And not only, I mean, they work in a couple ways. Anytime that the screen spins around and we go from current Dory to baby Dory, it's just an, Aww moment every single time. I mean, you can't help it because that baby Dory is just one of the cutest things I've ever seen animated ever. Like, I mean, it's it's she's adorable. Like, she's all eyeballs, and it's I, I can't I can't get over how cute that little fish is. And so, Pixar brilliantly does that, you know, so that you you have that moment. But yet, like you were saying, these flashbacks are telling us. A story. They're filling in these gaps of things that we didn't know we needed the answer to. I mean, you, 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 you hit on that perfectly that we don't, we never asked ourselves, why does Dory s- sing? Just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. We never ever thought that there, that it mattered. Why would she say that? It's just, she's quirky. You know, mm-hmm. we never needed an answer to that. Um, and it, it's amazing how they were able to, tie that in things things like that she knows how to speak whale like we get to find out why she knows how to speak whale I've never asked that question but I loved finding out the answer to it yeah and that's that's special like that's that's something very unique that you don't get to experience that in a lot of films even sequels uh so I agree with you I mean in a lot of ways it's not a sequel um it it is kind of like a standalone but it It's kind of a perfect marriage of both. So continuing, I guess, with that idea of the fact that we're learning stuff about Dory, we seem to be learning a lot in this film. Uh, and it, for example, I did not know that octopuses had three hearts. Did you know that, Patrick? <laughs> I did not. I did not at all. At first, I thought they made that up. So we Googled it after the movie. They did not make that up.
1: It is true. They really do. And I love the fact that we learn about echolocation the way we do. Right? Who knew? I did not, yeah, I did not know about echolocation. And I, <laughs> as a big fan of sound effects, I think uh, the first thing that I that I I voxed to you after I saw the movie was... <clears throat> knowing that you hadn't seen the movie yet. And that was like my my little my little Easter egg or whatever it was for you.
0: <laughs> it, I'm, I thought it was hilarious that you did that because when I, when I saw that in the movie, I got to have an extra little moment of um, just a, of smiling and joy on my face. Cause I was like, that's what he's getting at. And so that was, that was a lot of fun. I'm glad that you, you teased that out without telling me what that was going to be about. But I mean, it seems like it's all over the place. There's just, these little tidbits of, of learning things thrown all over in this film. We, we, we get to learn about stingray. Migra- I didn't know stingrays migrated, you know, I, and that we get to hear Sigourney Weaver, you know, teaching <laughs> <laughs> from a, from a, from a loudspeaker. I, I just love the way that they brought edutainment into a major movie.
1: Did you just, is that a word? Is that a, is that an Aaron original edutainment?
0: Unfortunately not. I wish I could claim it, but you know, education and
1: entertainment put together. Yeah.
0: I, I consider finding Dory edutainment
1: in a lot of ways. I, I absolutely agree. And I mean, I, I think this movie really personifies where fantasy and reality have a great marriage. I mean, the Marine Institute is a real place and echolocation and the three hearted octopi that can change color and mix with the environment. Um, you take all those physical things that are real And you use them to tell a story of fantasy that echoes the same thing that Dory is coming to grips with, that her imagination and her ability to not see limitations, it creates something wonderful. And I love the fact that the theme of one of the major themes of the of the film is lived out by the filmmakers, that they use what we would consider limitations, like an institute, a physical place, and they use it to just amplify this this wonderful adventure It really, I loved it. I loved it. Wow.
0: That's deep. I I hadn't thought about the fact that they were, you know, using these things that they had as limitations to, um, overcome and still be able to tell an amazing story within them. But you're right. And I mean, I think that's clearly there's clearly those themes of Dory's gosh, I don't know what word to call it. Um, her memory loss, let's just call it right now, her memory loss, but Dory's memory loss is what drives the plot of this film. And so as she's seeking out her family, um, we get to go through this whole thing from her point of view. And I think that that's such a strength of the film because we get to put ourselves in her position and, you know, all those things that she was learning earlier, we talked about, we get to learn those with her At the same time, like Dory doesn't know why she keeps swimming, why she sings, just keep swimming. And she gets to have that. We get to have that aha moment together. Right. And it really just bonds us to her character. So then when that continues on to what you were just talking about and the whole overcoming challenges, we're, we're, we're just in there. I, I have not feel, I did not feel any bit, as connected to Nemo or a character in finding Nemo specifically, as I did Dory in this one. And I'm pretty sure that everybody from a child up to, uh, you know, an elderly person could get that same connection to Dory.
1: Oh, for sure, man. Because I think that what the filmmaker, what the, what the creative team on this film did was that they made her relatable to everyone. I don't know that there's any person that watched this movie big kid or little kid that would say exactly what you did that she's not connectable because she is i mean we all have abilities we all have limitations and we all kind of deal with those limitations in our own way sometimes we apologize for them sometimes we fight through them sometimes we deny them and i think in some ways you know dory was was like you said it beautifully that we because we were following the story with her, we were participants and not spectators. We got to feel that frustration. We got to feel that sadness. And we got to feel that elation on these different moments, like when she finds her parents. And when she um, when she has a an idea, knowing that she's probably f- going to forget it, but she has that idea, we celebrate that with her. I mean, we are with her on this whole journey. And that's what really impressed me, was I didn't think I could be connected to what was essentially a side character until this point. And I thought, how can you make this quirky little forgetful fish important? And he did.
0: Yeah. Boy, did they ever. And some, some has been made about, um, so recently in Zootopia, Zootopia was another, is not a Pixar. It was a Disney film. Um, And the themes in that one were pretty on the nose. Um, It was all about acceptance. It was all about um, equality, um, just embracing who you are and and not being conformed to an identity or a stereotype. This one, conversely, is is kind of it's also about accepting who you are, but in a little bit of a different way. I think this is probably the first ever animated film that has truly championed, um, the disabled community. And I don't, I don't, did you pick up on that theme at all? I did.
1: Uh, absolutely. And I think it, <laughs> to use another regrettable pun, I think it's echoed in the character of Bailey, the, uh, the shark. I can't, I, what, what is Bailey he? is a beluga whale beluga beluga what a great name beluga whale
0: really is a great name and a great design you know, i'm glad they chose him. man
1: he's so 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 good um he was one of my favorite characters <laughs> aaron's making the beluga whale face oh. which is <laughs> oh man this is why he's my favorite character one reason is because my best friend can completely imitate him in the almost worst and best way possible. (laughs) You're welcome. But he, um, he epitomized, he was yet another character that saw what he was born with as something that he didn't understand. And therefore he thought it was a limitation. And I think with him and with Dory in particular, we, we got this sense that what they considered something that was a limitation became the thing that made them stronger, and their their disability became their greatest ability, and they embraced that, and they embraced they began to embrace it with confidence as the as the movie went on and um you know like a lot of i i don't I don't know a lot about the disabled community i don't know i mean I only see what what i what I watch on television and movies and what I read about in articles, but i I don't know many folks that are that live with a disability, at least not one that's completely obvious. But I would imagine that a lot of research, as, if, as much research as, that went into recreating the Marine Institute, I would think if this was a definitive theme that was going to be explored, the filmmakers um, went as accurate as possible. So I have pretty pretty good confidence that this is something that folks with disabilities uh, deal with. What about you?
0: Well, yeah, I thought it was very, it was very obvious to me and I don't know that I I may have more of a direct history. Um, just because I know people very close in my life that, um, you know, one is a special education uh, teacher. Um, and so, you know, she's been working with kids like this for her whole, whole career and it's listening to her, tell me stories about them and retrain my own, inherent misunderstandings has been an awesome thing because th- when we don't understand something, um, it, it's, kinda, it's, it's kind of, it's off putting to us and, and we don't know how to deal with it and how to handle it. And she's helped bring me to a place where I understood more of, you know, that these are just normal kids, you know, they're just kids. Um, and they may have something that, that they've got to overcome like short-term memory loss or, You know, not knowing their echolocation or they might have nearsightedness like destiny does. Um, They might have anxiety like Hank the octopus, you know, Um, but those things when when people rally around each other and people support each other, um, they're able to realize and and understand and see that those things are strengths and accept them and, and, and know that they are okay who they are. They're special and they're important. Just the way that they were made, um, just the way they were created.
1: Yeah, and it got me thinking about the the idea of the disabled, and I, and I'll keep it specific to to the movie because I don't want to presuppose anything about something I don't know a lot about. But do you think that there was an idea that was, I'll say, preached, but an idea that was that was explored about? Not only is your disability something that you can just live with, but it's something that you use to make you better. Do you think that that was, did you pick up on that or was I reading too much into it? What about, what did you think?
0: No, I, I would completely agree. Um, you know, there, there comes a point where, um, they do make you better and all of the characters, looked to had a moment in the movie where they, they got to shine because of their disabilities. Right. And even, even the bird, Becky. So Becky's treated maybe a little less uh, gently than some of the other characters. Um, but Becky's supposed to be frazzled and crazy. Some sort of, you know, you could, you could call her a schizophrenic in a way, but once she imprints with Nemo and Marlin, um, she's able to come back and help them and save the day. Uh, despite, despite that she's able to lock in in that moment when she needs to lock in and focus, she's able to do that. Um, and you know, that's not to say that, a a a bird that doesn't have, you know, different personalities wouldn't have been able to do the same thing. Uh, but it does go to show that that's not a, that's not something that has to be a limiting factor.
1: Yeah. And, and I would have to agree. I, I personally think that it was, played out well with the the repetition of Dory constantly saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, all the way throughout the movie. And getting to a place near the end where her parents were saying, You don't have to apologize. And I think even Marlon said that you don't have to apologize. You are who you are and that's the best thing you can be. That's the you you are not a mistake, Dory. You are not a limited fish because you don't do this. That you were given these abilities because that's what they are. You were given these traits to do certain things with them. And what I, what I dug about this about, because there's a sense of family that exists in this one, just like they do like it does in finding Nemo. But what I loved was the fact that they all still had to work together. It wasn't like Dory found out that she has this resource, but that she still needed everybody else's resources as well. Whether they were called disabilities or not, they all needed each other. She needed to present the idea knowing that she was going to forget about it and the rest of the team needed to catapult her into the big, into the big truck. So all these pieces had to come together for their plan to work at the end. And I thought that was a beautiful picture of what it meant to not only be a team, but to know that your limitations coupled with everybody else's limitations become something full and complete and it makes the big plan or it makes life work if if I were to get kind of more broad stroke that it, um, it creates a really great sense of, of teamwork and family.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You brought up the, the fact that she was saying, I'm sorry all the time, because that's something I'm actually currently, uh, teaching my own daughter. Um, you know, she's a preteen and she's, she's so respectful and so caring of, for others that sometimes she'll, she'll do that. She'll she'll end up falling into this routine of just apologizing for everything Um, even when you're not criticizing, you're just, you know, saying, Hey, you know, by the way, next time, you know, you could do it this way and it'll, you'll, you'll have an even better result. And she says, I'm sorry. And so I've been working on teaching her that she doesn't even have to, she doesn't have to say, I'm sorry to everything because, you know, she wants to please, um, please others and it, and she doesn't have to do that. She doesn't have to apologize for who she is or for what she thinks or for, the things she does that may not align 100% perfectly with how I would have done something. Um, and it's been, this was, it was interesting because she came out of this and she, we, we had a, a little talk about it. We had a moment. It was like, Oh wow. You know, like we just saw that thing that we talk about all the time in real life happen in this movie. Um, and it was a cool, cool connection for us. Uh, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. And you know, and on Dory's parents, I just want to say one other thing is they seem to treat, Dory, the way that I have been told, um, parents should try and treat their children that have any kind of problem like this, any kind of, um, like a memory loss issue or something. They, they, they treat her really, really well. Um, they provide a structure for her. Um, they, you know, help give her things to building blocks that she can, she can go on, um. And that structure is very important for, for kids that, that have, um, suffer from these kind of things. And then they, they gradually just take that away. You know, they slowly give a little bit more leniency and a little bit more, um, to, to their children, um, so that they can experience it and they can step out there on their own because you're never going to, you're never going to be able to do that unless somebody lets you.
1: Absolutely. And as a parent, I can tell you even having a three-year-old who has not been in the world as long as your kids have, it, I know it's going to be challenging for me to come to that point at, at, at times in his life where I have to say, okay, it's on you now. Okay, you can do this on your own and see him fall and see him make mistakes. Because as a guy and as a dad specifically, I want to fix it. I want to make sure that he's okay. I want to make sure that he's taken care of. And in some ways that can be very, very, uh, very negative on his, on his adolescence, on his growing up, because you nailed it, man, that his, her parents, I mean, I think at one point they said they trusted her.
0: Yeah, they did. And
1: that's a, that's a huge thing to, I know that when my parents have told me that they trusted me, especially if, if some big event is happening in my life that I'm making a choice to do. That meant the whole world to me because that told me that they saw some form of a maturity in me. And looking back on it now, I also saw that they were taking a leap of faith with me saying he may succeed, he may fail, but we're going to trust that he's going to try to make the best decision. And I think her parents really helped um, amplify that in, in their relationship with her.
0: Yeah, me too, man. And it, it, I think we could continue talking about it. Um, but it, it's, it's just amazing to me that the film could have such deep, deep meaning. Like, <laughs> that was not even meant to be a pun, but it did. It did have deep meaning. Deep
1: no like, regrets, man. No regrets.
0: Deep like the ocean. <laughs> so let's transition for a minute. And this is a Pixar film. This is an animated movie. And it's funny. And it's fun. So we've hit on and we've discussed some of the important things that this film can teach and important things that it champions. But what about just the rest of those moments that just make you smile and laugh? I got to start us because there's, man, everything with the two whales, I I couldn't get enough. I could not get enough of um, Bailey and Destiny. All weekend, Destiny... Because destiny, it's your destiny. Like, kept coming up over and over and over. Just it, it, those two were so perfect. The echolocation issues, and and once he turns on his echolocation, like the, it just nailed. That was the best thing in the film for me. You know, like I mean, every time he turned it on, <laughs> I can't even see. I can't even like imagine and picture him woo 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 wooing without like laughing out loud because I'm imagining him like it's just the ridiculousness of him seeing so far away you know and then like the truck's coming down into the police roadblock and he's like "Woo, woo watch out you know? <laughs> <laughs> we got we, we should move but yeah. they they are awesome everything with the two whales um you know every time he would say he would say wall like 0. 0.5 seconds before she would,
1: she hit the wall he right, never right. said
0: wall with a long enough time for her to actually stop and avoid the wall, it would he'd be he'd just be like watching and he'd be like, "Wall, boom and then she <laughs> I feel so terrible for her um but yeah, I just those characters and the woo wooing with the echo location for me, that was this year's special line like every year, every big Pixar film to me seems to have kind of something funny that I take out of it that I can really remember and latch onto and with the kids that we can come back to. This year it's the echolocation. Last year in Inside Out it was the whole um, theme song for Bing Bong. It was who's your friend that likes to play Bing Bong, Bing Bong. You know we would do that all the time. This year definitely echolocation. But w- what else? What else was there? What? What for you hit the, hit the mark?
1: Oh well, um, my stuff is real visual. I, I loved and 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 the way that uh, the way the comedy in particular. I I liked seeing um, Hank change into different, you know, change into his surroundings, you know, like I think there was one scene where he and Dory are hiding and he becomes a tree cause she's in a fishbowl and it's like, he's a, he's a tree in a fishbowl.
0: Did you watch the ends credits End credits of, or did Yes.
1: You... I watched it a little bit cause, you know, cause, my, cause Carson wanted, my son wanted to, he wanted to leave, but I watched the first probably, you know, two or three minutes seeing him in just different forms. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> He was great, he, you know. He, um, I, I, lo- I love that. I loved the 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 ink moment where where somebody touches him and and then the ink just splatters and it's and and it's just this silence, like like <laughs> like when somebody passes gas and they know it and everybody hears it. It's like you feel that way. You feel like really embarrassed. For <laughs> yep. <them. laughs> uh, one of my favorite moments was when when the truck opens or when the truck. Launches, you know, is launched off the off the bridge or whatever it is into the water. And what a wonderful world is playing and everything's in slow motion. And there's this one moment where a fish, a small fish then gets eaten by a larger fish that then gets eaten by an even larger fish. And you're going, are they really going to show Fish eating each other and then a half second later you see the big fish just spit everything out this green ooze of like saliva it's the same one and he's the same one who's been like i think he's sneezing he,
0: he's he's been sneezing or, or coughing That's right all That's movie right. long he's done it like three or four times there's been like gags where you'd, you'd see that guy in a tank and it'd be like that you know and then yeah. sure enough it happens again and saves those little fishes lives
1: oh man it's just it's so great um and you mentioned earlier Marlin having to uh Imprint himself on the bird. I thought that was great. It was so awkward and at the same time just hysterical. There were a lot of just funny little awkward moments that you kind of go, "Ooh, yeah, I feel bad for you," but I'm kind of laughing on the inside and the outside. Um, I also love the fact that, uh, I, for me, one of the little things I loved seeing how how the fish got around to different water areas, being you know being transported in a Nalgene bottle or a sippy cup or in a fishbowl or something. I, I loved, um, as, as many plot holes as you can find in an animated feature. I love the fact that the storytellers, that the creative team basically said, we've got to get these guys from point A to point B. Let's get creative with it. Let's throw them into a pond and then let's throw them into an algae bottle. And then let's throw them into a sippy cup. I love stuff like that. The little things, just those little details really made me laugh.
0: Oh yeah. I, I completely agree. And, and you're right. They are plot holes. I mean, they are you, you're, you can't watch it with a critical eye and not go, Oh, come on. I mean, you know, like really, they're going to throw themselves out the window and, and, uh, or throw themselves, I guess they were off on hanging on the tree on the, uh, in the pail at the time and land perfectly on this water spout. That's going to shoot them to the other water spout, shoot them to the other water spout, you know, like those <laughs> kind of things. You can't look at it critically and go, yeah, that makes sense, but it doesn't matter because you're having so much fun. And because they're, they're, interspersing those little lines of important dialogue. Like what would Dory do? Right. Like while we're going through that scene, that's what's happening. So we, we lose completely the necessity of reality Mm -hmm. because we're just so absorbed in that world because the characters are so great and they're taking our attention. Uh,
1: One of my, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think a strength of, of Pixar as a, as a studio is the ability to take, um, The inanimate world and make it interesting. That's probably why I gravitate towards Toy Story so much is because of the fact that, um, they do that. I mean, everything around the world of Toy Story is, is a toy or something related to it. We don't see a lot of organic stuff. And I think Dory got back to that. Yeah, I think so too. And then
0: I I gotta, I gotta mention two other, I mean, there's so many, but the other two big favorite kind of fun moments for me. Um, one is when Dory is getting lost trying to get through the pipe system and Bailey is using his echolocation to direct her and it's like watching like a submarine movie like you know like that's what it looks like and then you see these like two things coming at her and when Nemo and Marlin find Dory, and they're just swimming around her frantically, like all just excited, like that they found her. And you just hear Bailey, and he's like, "Oh no, they're consuming her!" <laughs> <laughs> and I, we just died laughing. So good,
1: so yeah, good, so, so good.
0: good. That and the otters, everything. I mean, in real life, I think everybody's a fan of the otters uh, because you can't go to an aquarium or a zoo and see otters and not just go aw. So they, they played it perfectly and you get a bunch of otters standing in the middle of the street holding fish in their hands <laughs> and, and Dory says, cuddle party. <laughs> and you know, like, I mean, it's so dumb, but like, that's what I want. Like I want a cuddle party with an otter. I do. And so I could relate. And then the guy that, you know, slams the car sideways, what does he say? He sees them and he doesn't freak out and go, Oh my gosh. He goes, Oh like even he reacts that way because they're otters, man, they're otters. <laughs>
1: so cute, so cute i I think was it the sea lions that with yeah, the uh, the sea lions yeah. and the rock I thought I thought they were great, and I will say this. I think when you take a non-human and you give that non-human a non-American accent, you've already just scored points with me. So they could read from the telephone book for all I care, but you have these sea lions in this great—I uh, think it was a British accent, maybe or New Zealand—I can't remember—but it was a great accent. Seeing them dialogue back and forth with Marlin and uh, and Nemo, and then um, what was it? The other sea lion that wanted to always get up on their on their rock. What what was it? They said to get him off. What was it to scare him away? Do you remember? I think it was like man, 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 or something, something like that. I, I thought that was great. That was really
0: I know they were referencing a bark. It was, you know, making fun or light of the fact that you know sea lions bark. Um, oh,
1: yet another educational thing I did not know.
0: Yeah, they do. Well, yeah. There's there's so much fun stuff, man. I it, everything. I just loved it. I loved everything about it. I I thought it was so brilliant that we could go in there and learn things, and then you know, get a better understanding of a community that is not well represented, um, and not always well supported. Uh, and then at the same time get our normal fill of laughs and smiles and, and cries, which leads me Patrick to what we want to do here is we, in the past we've, we've kind of done a three favorite scenes model for the podcast and we've decided that we'd like to try something a little different because, we felt like we were intentionally not talking about some of the best scenes in these movies until the very end. And that's not fun. I mean, it's hard to like withhold that. I can't imagine not talking about some of this stuff in Dory and just waiting and trying to, to hold it in. So we're only going to hold in one or two favorite scenes from now on. And that's going to be like our most impactful moment, like our feeling moment, right? Maybe, you know, we don't have to have a a name for it, but this is, this is the moments that, that moved us the most in these films, because that's what that's what matters to us. And feeling the moment, feeling, feeling the moment. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure something cool out. Or maybe somebody else can come up with something better for us. But we're each gonna have one, uh, and sometimes they may be the same. But for for this one, I am gonna start, and I gotta say, Dory following her instincts was such a a neat thing to watch happen, and to watch it grow, watch it, watch her grow into. This fish that would would accept that she could trust herself, and it and it's just like stingray, stingray. I think his name is actually Mister Ray, the stingray. I don't remember exactly, but yes, yeah, so
1: stingray would totally
0: make sense being a Pixar movie. If His name was Mister Ray, um, and and he was teaching them at the very beginning to do this, to follow their instincts, just like the you know stingray migration, and the fact that she would find her way to the shells. Which was a running thing throughout the whole film, with her parents teaching her to use the shells to get home. Um, the moment that she is starting to follow her instincts and okay, rock, no, no, sand. Okay, I like sand. Sand is squishy. I'm gonna go this way. You know, I like this. I don't like that. You know, this this is familiar. This is not familiar. I'm gonna go with familiar. And she looks down. She sees this shell. And again, we're doing this from Dory's POV. So we see one shell. And it's like, oh, well, that's, that's good. But then she looks up and as she, as it, as it pans up, we see another one and you can begin to faintly see that there might be a line of these and I lost it. I I didn't even need to see the rest of them because the moment that I saw the second one, I knew what was going to happen. And I broke down in tears. My daughter beside me was crying before I even got to my tears. So <laughs> she was already well into it. And I was, I was hugging her at this point. And we were both just losing it because it was so impactful. And for me, that scene not only had the emotional weight, you know, of her finding her parents, but it transitioned into this hilarious humor between Bailey and Destiny where they were trying to break out of the Institute and they end up jumping the wall. And that was something that I just think Dory, or not Dory, but I think Pixar is, that's why I think they are the kings of animation and the kings of this format is because they, they, they had me crying like legit tears coming down my face. And at the same time, they moved me so fast into this humor that I was laughing out loud while I was crying. And, and I just, that doesn't happen hardly ever. So, so that's my, that's my most impactful scene. It nailed me and I will always remember it.
1: I can't disagree. That was mine as well. And, and, for a couple of different reasons, um, I will say this about that, that ability as a storyteller, whether it's a studio or a director, whoever you want to give credit to, to be able to throw you from one emotion to the next. Um, as someone who, who loves psychology, I think there's some, there's some deep value in that because what you're doing is you're experiencing, this, you're experiencing this elation of a reunion, of knowing what's happening or what's about to happen, and then you go into something that's going to make you laugh. I mean, you're going to connect with that for a long time because you're going to remember that moment because you've got two powerful emotions that aren't necessarily connected to each other, but now they are because they're two emotional moments that have a positive impact on you. It's not like you see her and then you see something explode that makes you feel sad. I mean, that would be confusing to your emotional psyche. <laughs> yeah. Now you've got, but you've got these two things that. I think you're exactly right. What a it's a great thing for a for a storyteller to be able to 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 make you feel those things because they want you to almost double down on that good feeling that they want you to have. They're like how can we make this even better? Well, let's throw in some humor to really just reimpact that. And I think for me that scene in particular when I see the camera shift and we see the viewpoint coming over the horizon and we see that one line of shells Amplify into like three and then five and then seven. That's saying so much without an ounce of dialogue that we we see that her parents when they finally reunite with her they don't say this just yet. But I remember they said they didn't give up on her. And then like four seconds they're like we wouldn't give up on you. We stayed here because we had faith that you would come back that you would find your way to us. And even I mean yes they said that but it was already spoken in a way that was completely nonverbal with all those shells. I mean, they, if I was a parent, I would go searching. But these parents knew that, that she would find her way home or find her way back to them. And to me as a parent, I'm going, it goes back to what I mentioned earlier about the idea of trusting my children, you know, trusting those that are going to come after me um, to, to find their way home if they need to. Uh, it was such a, such a moving moment as a parent specifically. And, and I teared up as well. I don't tear up a lot. I am a, I am the stoic person in my family. And, uh, so the, if you see, you know, if if you see me crying, take a picture and put it on Instagram because it does not happen often. And this one moved me to tears. It really did.
0: That's great. I'm, re- I'm, I'm glad that you had the same reaction this time. I, it's fun to know, get to talk about a movie where sometimes we take different things away and we have different uh, opinions of what the best scene is. But for something like this, I, I definitely like being able to connect with you and everybody else that has seen this because I I, I venture to to wager that most, most people would, would agree this is their, their top scene or the most impactful scene in the movie. You know, it may not be the best scene, Um, but it it definitely is the one that makes you feel the most. So, um, I, I can't wait to see the movie again. I I don't know if I'm going to be able to catch it in a theater on another viewing, but I would love to. Um, it's definitely one I want to revisit as soon as it comes out, um, at home again. I want to watch it back to back with Nemo. I'm excited to do that at some point and just kind of see how that plays, but I loved it and I thought Pixar hit a home run.
1: I couldn't agree more. So if you would like to join our discussion, we would love to hear from each of you. If you have thoughts on the movie as a whole, your favorite moment, we'd love to hear what your emotional takeaway from this was. You can find us on Facebook, uh, feelinfilm or facebook.com slash feelinfilm. If you want to interact with us directly um, on the Twitter machine, you can catch us at feelinfilm, or you can catch me specifically Um, at shoeless patch. I am also on Facebook, facebook.com slash shoeless patch. Aaron, where can they find you anywhere and everywhere at Aaron L white, a, a R O N E L W H I T E.
0: And of course the show, like Patrick mentioned, um, we're also on iTunes stitcher. We think we've, we said that at the beginning, but we got an amazing new review last week, Patrick. And I think maybe next show, um, maybe we'll read some reviews.
1: What do you think about that? Sounds good. I like that. That sounds good to me.
0: Yeah, I think so. So, um, we would love for you guys to all go to iTunes, um, Stitcher, wherever you, you get your podcasts from and just write a few words of what you think about the show. It helps us get visibility, helps us, helps more people find us. And we're so grateful for that. And, and I've been blown away by reading the amazing things. Some of you have said, it's just very surreal. Both of us, we talk about it on a weekly basis, how, um, blessed we are to be a part of this community that's forming with with everyone listening um, and so yeah we'll highlight some of those on the next uh, episode the next episode speaking of that uh, we are going to be doing a second chance pick and taking another look at a film that didn't get a lot of love uh, when it was despite first in the Hugh theaters.
1: Jackman being in it what is this I mean where's the love for my man Hugh Jackman
0: I don't know that it was your man, Hugh Jackman, that caused the lack of love for this one. But uh, I guess we'll find out next week when we talk about it. We are going to be discussing and reviewing Chappie. So it, if you haven't seen it, go ahead and check it out. And then come back next week to find out what we thought.
1: I'm excited. Me as always. too.
0: But until next time, so stay positive.
1: And keep feeling thin. This is why I podcast. I, I'm just not a great singer or an impersonator of singers. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a
0: great impersonator of lots
1: of things. One out Ooh. of one out of ten hits. One out of ten. Hey, you know what? Batting a hundred when it comes to impressions, I'll, I'll, do, I'll I can do that. That's not good. It's better than you know, Ofer.
0: <laughs> it, it is better than Ofer, but it does get you sent to the minors.
1: At least I'm still playing. <laughs>